Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA a part of your day today. And it is an interesting day. Markets are a little quiet today. We're seeing not a whole lot of change. Corn up three to four cents. Beans up one to two cents. Wheat up two to three cents. A little bit of positive news. A lot of the trade just digesting the deluge of information that came this week. So today on the show, we are going to talk policy. We are going to talk trade. Joining us first will be Kent Backus, NCBA Executive Director of Government. Affairs. We have seen beef on a white hot streak with exports. Kent will give us an update on that sector. In segment two, Jeff Tarsi, the vice, excuse me, the president of global retail over at Nutrient Fertilizers, is going to join the show. He's been in that role almost a year, and it has been quite a volatile year. In segment three, Senator Charles Grassley, Iowa's senior senator, will join the program. Yesterday saw some real action on climate legislation. In the Senate, Senator Grassley voted yes. We're going to talk about just what that piece of legislation was. And we're going to close the show with Rob Fox, a director at the CoBank Knowledge Exchange, on a recent study they authored with the University of Missouri looking at the importance of off-farm income in rural America. And folks, the impact of that is staggering. Before we jump into that, though, let's talk the beef industry with Kent Backus. Kent, we continue to see export partners of ours around the world really jumping at the opportunity to buy American beef. How has have beef export sales gone so far this year? Well, uh, you know, if you look uh, just at our first, the first seven months of this year, our exports are just on fire. I mean, we, uh, our, our sales are up 29% globally. We're talking about $7.2 billion in exports worldwide. Uh, Korea is leading that charge with uh, $1.72 billion in sales. That's a 33% increase over last year's record pace. Uh, you look at Japan, we're just shy of $1.5 billion, uh, another 17% increase there. And, and really the one that we're watching closely is going to be the growth in China. Uh, China has, uh, has developed into a $1.5 billion market for us, and that's a 43% increase over last year's record. So we're just we're seeing growth all over Asia and all over Latin America. We're going to continue to see that grow because there's tight global supplies, but there's also really strong demand for the high-quality beef that we produce here. And, you know, for our producers, you know, just kind of bringing that home, uh, you're talking about uh, an average uh, cost or an average addition of $476 per head attributed solely to exports. And so, again, that's up 29% over last year. So we're hoping to keep driving these higher values for our exports and bring that value back to our cattle producers. Absolutely. And Kent, it's incredible to see that kind of gain in value when really U.S. agriculture hasn't had the cheerleaders that we typically have in the administration when it comes to export trade. I know they're working to change that today. We've got a hearing on Alexis Taylor. NCBA supports that nomination, don't they? Absolutely. You know, we're, uh, you know, I, I've worked personally with uh, with Alexis Taylor uh, when she was a Senate staffer and then again when she was at USDA, she was very helpful in uh, in troubleshooting a lot of uh, the non-tariff issues that we ran into, and that was prior to this Undersecretary for Trade position being established. So she already has uh, some experience, you know, fighting some of these battles in the trenches. I think she's going to be a great fit. We just need the Senate to go ahead and move forward. Uh, because not only do we need her uh, position confirmed so she can engage, uh, but we also need, you know, Doug McCaleb uh, to be the chief ag negotiator over at USTR. We know he's already gone through that first hurdle of, of having the unanimous support of the Senate Finance Committee, uh, but we need the, the full Senate to approve both of these before they break for elections. Absolutely. We've got to get those done because there are some opportunities developing on the global scale. Can't I look over at the UK, that new Prime Minister, Liz Truss, shaking things up in the Senate? Are there opportunities for U.S. beef across the pond? You know, I think, uh, you know, for us, we've been we've been eyeing the British market for quite some time. We see a very mature market there, but uh, but also a market that's underserved. And so that's a market that wants a high quality product, but doesn't have a lot of access to it. 
Uh, I mean, most of their beef is, is produced either domestically or comes from Ireland, and it's going to have more of that grass-finished component. Uh, but what grain-finished product we are able to sell, uh, we run out. I mean, it's, a, it's in strong demand. Uh, you know, uh, Prime Minister Truss, she brings that trade background with her to the office. She has uh, been a negotiator uh, and has, has led their trade efforts for a while. Uh, she issued, issued some comments uh, at the beginning of this week, uh, basically just recognizing the state of play. And that's the fact that, you know, uh, until the United States engages, uh, we're going to be a few years away before we can actually see a trade deal. Uh, so we're not surprised uh, and definitely, you know, not encouraged by our comments, but it is the reality that we face right now. And that's why we need the Biden administration to gear up and to, to focus on prioritizing trade with our allies, especially with the United Kingdom. And so we're going to continue to support those efforts. And Kent, you mentioned one of Alexis Taylor's strong suits was grappling with those non-tariff barriers. And as you look at the UK, you look at the EU, the challenges to American beef trade getting into those countries typically are non-tariff barriers, aren't they? That's right. I mean, if you just want to look at, uh, at some of the basic issues that we have with that market, well, first of all, for the UK specifically, we're limited to 1,000 metric tons annually. We filled that quote on the first two months of this year. So, I mean, uh, it's not that there's not a demand for our products. It's we don't have the access there. Uh, and that's just on, you know, the, the market access side. But you get into the non-tariff issues, that's where we're going to have to have more discussions about production technologies and key things like, like hormones and uh, antibiotics and other things like that that are important in what we use. Uh, and I think the British are much more willing to have a trade framework and a trade relationship that's built on science-based standards. Uh, but keep in mind, they've been living under that European Union uh, you know, mindset for 40 years, so they've been fed a lot of this misinformation, a lot of non-science-based uh, uh, policies that have, that have crafted uh, their food systems over there. So it's going to take some time to, to work on that. But, you know, we believe that there's a lot of similarities in how we produce beef here and how they raise uh, uh, cattle in the, in the UK. When you look at, you know, our commitments to animal health and animal welfare through our Beef Quality Assurance Program, very similar to what they have with their red tractor screen, uh, schemes. Uh, when you also look at, you know, the commitments on sustainability, uh, you know, that's not just a buzzword. We do that through our production practices because we're more efficient uh, than the rest of the world and we have a lower uh, footprint uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to carbon and it comes to you know overall emissions, uh, so we think that we bring a lot to the table on this. But those are conversations that we need to have. And the problem is, is you know we've stepped back from negotiations and gone into you know what the administration currently calls dialogues, which you know don't really have a lot of uh, you know steps moving forward. We need them to renegotiate. We need them to reengage and get into the negotiation phase because that's where results happen. And so that's the message we're going to continue to deliver to this administration. Absolutely. Get the message out there. The U.S. is producing the most efficient, in my opinion, most flavorful beef in the world. Let's get it out there and let's share it to people who've got green money they want to share with us. We've been talking, folks, to Kent Backus. He's the NCBA Executive Director of Government Affairs. And Kent, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you. And folks, stick with us. We're going to talk about another market that has seen tremendous volatility over the past eight months, and that's fertilizer. Jeff Tarsi, the Nutrient President of Global Retail, will be joining the show here when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. 
Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers, and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the Foundation, foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and thanks for tuning in to AOA here today. Over the past 9, 10, 12 months, if you've been out there in the countryside talking to farmers, almost invariably one topic has come up, and that has been the volatility in the fertilizer industry. We've seen prices go crazy up and down, left and right. Distribution has been thrown asunder between the COVID pandemic and the war in Ukraine. That market has seen some movement over the past year. And one man who has seen a lot of that movement right up front and personal is Jeff Tarsi. Earlier this month, he was named as the president of Global Retail for Nutrient Fertilizer. It's a post he has been occupying on an interim basis for the past nine months. Jeff, this past year, I bet, has been an interesting one from your perspective. It, it certainly has. Let me start off by saying good morning and uh, thank you for having me this morning. But uh, yeah, I've been in this industry right at 37 years, and I would say that not only this past year, but I would probably say the past 24 months have likely been the most interesting 24 months of my career as it relates to inputs, supply chain, logistics, uh, workforce, you name it. It's a backdrop of a lot of events. Everything has been wild, yes, as you mentioned, for the past 24 months. Jeff, that being the case, as you take over the role as president of Global Retail, how have these past 24 months changed the way Nutrient is going to be getting fertilizer out there to the countryside? Well, I mean, look, we're we're, we're very fortunate as a company and that Nutrient, our parent company, has, has always invested in our retail uh, operations, our footprint. Uh, we, we've spent a we've we've employed a lot of capital in our logistics network, and so from a supply chain standpoint, uh, it, while it's been it's been futile and uh, it's been tough with a lot of surprises, we think we've done a really good job of supplying our customers. But one thing that's 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 changed in in this era is 
communications, 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 and forecasting. And I know from our retail branches, uh, we forecast more intently today than we ever have before. And then we have 3,900 agronomists on the ground that are working with our producers on a day in and day out basis. And I can't emphasize the importance of communication between the agronomist and our farmer producers. Uh, you know, right now we're taking the crop out and while we're taking the crop out, we're generally starting to make decisions on what we're going to plant next year. And so what we don't have the luxury of anymore in this era of supply chain constraints is coming in a month ahead of planting a crop and starting to lay out what your input needs are. So we, we've really, we're using our database uh, that we have uh, within our company that allows us to forecast, look at past historical input purchases and things like that. And then we're using our digital platform as well to work with our growers to better predict what that input demand is going to be. So I really can't emphasize the importance of communications. That has come up repeatedly as we have entered this period of volatility. Having that long lead time, being able to plan ahead is so crucial in this environment. Jeff, I want to ask you about the troubles we're seeing with fertilizer production over in Europe. We've heard a lot of nitrogen plants have shut down as that natural gas cost has accelerated. How is that going to change fertilizer acquisition needs for producers here in North America? Well, look, it's, uh, you know, if I look at MP and K, uh, nitrogen is is absolutely the wild card. It's the product that we're going to see the most volatility and bearability in. And that's because, you know, the greatest majority of the cost in nitrogen is natural gas. And with the events and with Russia, Ukraine and Europe's situation and, and relying on Russian gas, the demand for natural gas is, you know, is, you know, it's energy at any cost right now for Europe. Uh, as they try to wean themselves off of that gas, that's obviously pushed the natural gas price up to levels in Europe that most of those European producers of nitrogen have at, have had to shut in uh, their production because it's just at a cost that uh, is not feasible. And so that puts more more pressure on domestic producers here in North America, uh, and that demand is is great by the European farmers. Uh, for these nitrogen products, you know, whether we're talking about anhydrous ammonia, urea, or UAN. And so, again, I mean, I feel good about our ability to supply our customers. I just think we need to be prepared that there's going to be some volatility uh, in the pricing. And I don't see a quick resolve to what's going on in the Ukrainian uh Russian crisis. I mean, I think we saw some escalation this week. And so that's always going to be the backdrop on the nitrogen side of things. Again, I think that I think that we'll be able to supply that market. But I also think we need to be prepared for pricing volatility. Yeah, I think the volatility people are just going to have to adjust to. Jeff, you mentioned P&K, potentially less volatility in those two markets. What are the factors there you're watching that could provide a little stability? Well, it's, you know, if, if we look, we came through the spring and, and we had a really delayed uh, spring season here in North America. So we probably ended the year with a little bit of inventory there. And when I say less volatile, that doesn't mean there's not going to be any volatility. In it. I just don't see the volatility that nitrogen would have. Uh, I tell you, a real key for us in any of these products is, you know, as is, is I talk to, we, we, we've got a, a really good start on the harvest in the south. Next week, we're going to explode across the Corn Belt and talking to our teams, we're going to have a lot of P&K go down next week. And our nitrogen book is really strong for anhydrous ammonia this fall. And so I have a lot of people ask me, you know, what, what should we do about fall fertilizer? And, and let me tell you, if we get the window to apply our, our nutrients this fall, I want to really urge people to let's take that window and let's get those applications down because that takes less pressure off the supply chain next spring. And if I look at corn today, you know, I see projections of about 4 million acres more corn going into 23. Well, that's a lot of product that's got to get down. And so we can really help things from the supply chain side of things if we can get a good start on getting these fall applications out.
Well, in those fall applications, of course, the the fallow season application for American farmers. But Jeff, you have been involved in the global fertilizer trade. I know you've worked down in South America. A lot of questions are circulating this year. How much crop are the Brazilian farmers going to put in the ground down there? From Nutrien's perspective, how does it look? Does it does it seem like we're going to see record acres out of Brazil? Well, I think anytime you're in a strong environment uh, commodity, and, and that, that's one thing that we're fortunate in that, you know, our input costs have been high, and I think we're in a high input cost period of time right now, but we've been very fortunate that the commodity pricing is, is very high as well. And I think, you know, for your Brazilian and Argentine growers, uh, in particular around the grains, in this high pricing environment, yeah, they're going to plant, you know, they're going to plant turn row to turn row there. Now, they're, you know, Argentina's extremely dry right now, and uh, we're just getting into the uh, soybean planting season in Brazil right now. But all of our indications are is that, you know, we're going to probably likely see some increase in acreage uh, in, in that area. And uh, look, agriculture's been very good to that region as well. Uh, the last three years and those growers have done well uh look they're adopting a lot of technology in those countries today and they're really working at you know trying to make their operations a lot more efficient and uh we have to play off of that in the united states market because this this is a global market and uh the low-cost producers generally going to win out at the end of the day Absolutely. Commodity production, that is how it rolls. Jeff, thinking about uh, the supply chain issues you mentioned earlier, still going to see some delays into the 23 season. As you look out to 24 and 25, given the amount of money that these shippers have earned, do you think it's going to get easier to ship? Well, I mean, look, we, we see storage container prices have dropped quite a bit. You know, uh, look, a lot, of, a lot of our active ingredients, especially on the crop protection side of things, come out of China and we, we, we do see that the, uh, that the shipping side of things have changed a bit. Now, unfortunately, when we get to the ports, we see delays there and those labor issues. Uh, it's, uh, I spent the first two days of this week in, in, in our nation's capital speaking with members of, of both houses, of, of Congress and the Senate, and the number one question, no matter who we were sitting down talking to, was, hey, tell us about supply chain and tell us about what you're seeing there. So. That's on the minds of uh, of our lawmakers as well as, you know, what are some of the things that, that we can do to make this situation better? Uh, the first thing, obviously, is going to be if we can see some looseness in the in the labor market. But I do think we'll see some improvements uh, going into 23. Uh, I think as we get out to 24 and 25, if there aren't other events that take place, we could see this thing, you know, start to smooth that out some. All right. Well, I know a lot of folks across the countryside will be looking for a smooth out in deliveries. Jeff Tarsi, the newly named Global Head of Retail at Nutrien. Thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Thank you. And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we'll be talking with Iowa's senior Senator Charles Grassley. Stick here for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 
Well, as we take a look at what's going on in the market trade so far on this Thursday, we have fairly quiet mixed action in the grains and oil seeds with core beans and wheat really trading either side of unchanged with livestock markets under a little bit of pressure. Energy's up slightly and the stock market down slightly. We saw weekly export sales numbers for the weekend of September 15th weren't the best. Corn 7.2 million bushels, soybean 16.4 million, and wheat at 6.7 million bushels. Mexico was the top buyer of U.S. pork in the weekend September 15th at 15,500 metric tons out of a net total of 29,000, while China was the top buyer of U.S. beef for the week at 6,200 metric tons out of a total net sale of 15,200 metric tons. Now on the Daily Wire, private exporters reporting sales of 105,000 metric tons of corn to Mexico for this marketing year and 101,600,000 1, metric tons of corn to unknown destinations for this marketing year. Now, all in all, the trade is really watching the equity markets as they're trading just above their summer lows once again as Wall Street prices in expectations of a deeper recession. The equities tend to price in recessions quicker than do commodities. Individual commodities could still rally in the midst of this reset if they have a fundamental strong story, but they must do so going against the headwinds of fear. Now, we could see significant corrections lower in recessions despite it being a staple food commodity. However, watching geopolitical issues as well as spec funds who are net short wheat, prices have the potential to rally further as the funds unwind their short positions. We'll watch those headlines, and that could impact the fundamental picture, but technical trading could also lead to a stronger wheat rally. Again, we see corn, beans, and wheat trading a couple of cents either side of unchanged with livestock down moderately and crude oil up about $1.30 a barrel. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA here on this Thursday. We are going to be speaking next with Iowa's senior senator, Mr. Charles Grassley. Senator, thank you so much for joining us here on AOA today. I'm glad to be with you. And uh, before you ask your first question, I'd like to say something if I could. By all means. Okay. I had the privilege of just introducing an Iowan uh, by the name of Lexis Taylor uh, to the Agriculture Committee. Uh, she is President Biden's nominee <clears throat> to be U.S. Department of Agriculture Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Affairs. And uh, she, uh, the family farms at Holy Cross, uh, Iowa, in Dubuque, I think that's in Dubuque County, and I, the reason why I'm glad to tell the farmers this, not just because she's an Iowan, but we, uh, American agriculture has been complaining for months and months about the slowness of this administration getting this important position in, in place uh, and also an, a like position in U.S. Department uh, or Special Trade Representative Office uh, there's an ambassador for trade negotiations there because it, we, it just made us look like this administration wasn't very much concerned about agriculture trade. So Alexa's nomination is finally getting this position filled. 
Absolutely. And so today, Senator, is her hearing with the Ag Committee. There will be all sorts of questions and then a vote at the end of the day. Is that the process? I think the vote may come next Tuesday in committee. And I, at the end of my introduction to her to the Agriculture Committee, I ex expressed to the chairman of the committee my disgust because the administration is slow getting this position filled. And because of her qualifications, uh, she should be uh, immediately approved by unanimous consent. So I think hopefully that happens next week. All right. We will be watching for that update as it happens next week. In the meantime, Senator, the battle against inflation continues. Back in May, you were one of the 80 senators who voted to reconfirm Jerome Powell as head of the Federal Reserve. Saw another rate hike this week. How do you think he's doing as the head of the Fed? Well, I wish he didn't have to increase uh, interest rates uh, like he has to. But uh, in turn, I wish he we didn't have eight and three-tenths percent inflation and that's what we have because of this administration's spending and tax policies and regulatory policies but that's the only tool that the fed has to get it down now congress has tools but we've used those tools in the wrong direction spending money instead of not spending money so we've been feeding the fires of inflation uh, for the last 20 months with a two trillion dollar appropriation march uh, less than 60 days after this president was sworn in and then more recently in august uh, 714 uh, dollars uh, for uh, the bill that passed uh, you know the bill that has 80 billion dollars for more hiring more people for the irs is just one example or it's a green new deal bill and then when you uh, feed the fires of inflation with $560 billion potential uh, loss of revenue, which is increased spending by uh, people that aren't paying back their government uh, college loans. So uh, this is what the Fed has a tool to do, and Congress isn't cooperating with the Fed, and it just makes his job that much more often. But if you're asking me, am I sorry I voted for Powell, no, we've got to fight inflation. So I'm, I still stand by my vote for Powell. All right. Well, we are going to continue that fight, no doubt. It certainly sounds like it will be here with us for a while. Senator, I wanted to ask you about a bill you have been passionate about on this program. You've been fighting for it for several years. That's the Cattle Market Price Discovery and Transparency Bill. We're coming close to the end of this legislative session. Will uh, Senator Schumer put it on the roster for a full vote? I can answer that question probably a little hour, a little better, two or three hours from now, when a group of us are meeting uh, to discuss the next step we must take. But you, you hit the nail on the head. Schumer's the one that's going to decide if we can get this up. And I guess I, uh, until we put our heads together a couple hours from now, I can't answer that question for you. All right. But I know you have been continuing to take the fight against consolidation there in D.C. Earlier this week, I believe it was on Tuesday, you had a justice uh, committee hearing and really laid out the importance of, of deconsolidating some of these industries. Senator, why is that yeah. such a, an important topic for you? Oh, because the less uh, competition you have, prices go up and uh, Farmer's going to pay for it. Uh, you know, a farmer has to pay for what the input costs he has. A farmer has to almost take the price if you want to sell on a certain day, the price of your grain that you're, or your cattle that you're sending to market. So more competition is better for a seller. More competition is better for a consumer. And it's just that simple. So we had a hearing. Uh, before the uh, Antitrust Subcommittee of Judiciary Committee. Uh, I participated in that with questions uh, to the FTC chairman, uh, Linda Kahn, and to uh, the uh, uh, Assistant Secretary of, or Assistant Attorney General for Antitrust. Uh, I was able to point out just what I've already pointed out to you, the importance of competition 
and then I had some questions along those lines. Uh, getting back to the cattle market thing, I think we ought to have a lot going for us uh, for this uh, bill because we got 11 Republican co-sponsors, 10 Democrat co-sponsors. Uh, we also uh, got this bill out of committee on a uh, on a voice vote, not quite unanimous, but almost unanimous. So we've got uh, everything on our side except the lobbyists for the four meat packers that control 85% of, of the market and the North American Meat Institute. But we got the farmers and the grassroots on our side, the Iowa Farm Bureau on our side, and the Iowa cattlemen and Nebraska cattlemen, uh, South Dakota cattlemen, Minnesota cattlemen. This is kind of a Midwestern uh, deal uh, with Midwestern cattle producers that want to market daily as opposed to contracting ahead. It's a fight between them and the big feedlots of Texas and Kansas uh, that contract uh, their sales, uh, and it eats up about 85% of the shackle space of any one day, so it's hard for farmers to get a fair price, or at least to know what is a fair price, and it's difficult uh, when you can't market your cattle for 30 days. So our bill requires delivery within 14 days, and it, uh, it's got a library position in it. So we're going to know the price of uh, the uh, that uh, the prices that are in these contracts as well as the daily market, so farmers know that they get a fair price, and then deliver your cattle in 14 days. All right. So we will be watching for an update. You are still working the legislative process on that bill. Senator will continue to watch for news as it makes its way potentially to the floor. I did want to ask about another hot topic in D.C. as of late. Of course, that's climate change. Senator, we saw an amendment passed yesterday to the Kigali Agreement here supporting climate change. You were one of the folks who voted for it. Could you tell us why this uh, this earned your vote? Well, well, wait a minute. It deals mostly with whether or not China ought to have some special consideration in this whole process. And and most of us that voted for that amendment are sick and tired of the second largest economy in the world under our trade laws and other considerations, including clean air and climate, getting another 10 years. Uh, they should be uh, fighting climate change in China as much as we're uh, fighting it here in the United States and Europe. And so that was part of this bill, is it will take China from a developing nation status to a developed nation, which, Senator, as you mentioned, second largest global economy, that seems like a no-brainer. Well, it is. But China gets away with murder with all this stuff. And uh, and I hope this amendment will, uh, will accomplish what we want it to. You won't believe this, but the State Department didn't like that amendment. They don't, uh, they don't want anything interfering with their uh, dealing with China. But when the bureaucrats are soft on China, Congress got to be tough on China. And other than this bill, are there any actions Congress is considering, Senator, uh, to, to take retaliation against China? Uh, the, the administration, uh, co Congress has laws already on the books. This administration has to act when you get unfair competition from China using their taxpayers' money to subsidize their products in competition with American competition. And so what we have tools in the box is we can put countervailing duties uh, to offset uh, their tax subsidy of their products so we have a level playing field. This administration's not doing enough of that, and we need to push, well, we're all trying to push uh, China, uh, our administration to do that. Absolutely, Senator. We better let you go get back in there and advocate for Alexis Taylor there at the ha Senate Ag Committee hearing. Thank you so much for joining us here on AOA Today. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And folks, stick around. We will be talking to Rob Fox, the director of the CoBank Knowledge Exchange, about the importance of off-farm income on farms of today. Stay here for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel.
diesel that doesn't mess around. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to The Monthly Grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on The Monthly Grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com. As growers consider cover crop options, the Seed Innovation Protection Alliance would like to remind you that many small grains are protected by some intellectual property and are not allowed to be used for seed production. Talk to your authorized seed dealer for information on your cover crop seed options. The Seed Innovation Protection Alliance thanks growers for buying new, professionally produced seed from authorized seed companies and dealers. To report a seed infringement, call 1-844-SEED-TIP. And we're live here outside the Perez family home just waiting for the... And there they go! Almost on time this morning! Mom is coming out the front door strong with a double-arm kid carry. Looks like Dad has the bags. Daughter is bringing up the rear. Oh, but the diaper bag wasn't closed. Diapers and toys are everywhere. Ooh, but Mom has just nailed the perfect car seat buckle for the toddler. And now the eldest daughter, who looks to be about 9 or 10, has secured herself in the booster seat. Dad zips the bag closed, and they're off. Ah, but looks like Mom doesn't realize her coffee cup is still on the roof of the car. And there it goes. Oh, that's a shame. That mug was a fam favorite. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just nail the big stuff. Like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Learn more at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. 
SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to the show today. One theme we have heard throughout history in agriculture is that it's expensive. And that is certainly a trend that is still in place this year as input costs continue to climb. And it's also volatile. And that has made securing gainful employment in ag sometimes a challenge. And making a living can be tough. And that means a lot of folks across farm country work off the farm in a full-time job. CoBank, their knowledge division, recently in partnership with the University of Missouri Extension, dug into this off-farm income uh, issue across farms and ranches today. And joining us to talk about that study is Rob Fox. He's the director of the Knowledge Exchange Division over at CoBank. And Rob, what was it that prompted you with the University of Missouri to want to look into this issue? Hi, good morning, Mike. How you doing? Um, you know what? Well, as you know, our clientele is cooperatives and uh, agricultural entities and um, it based in rural America, right? So from a twofold standpoint, we wanted to be, we wanted to look from an internal, you know, standpoint to see what's going on with our customers and our communities. And we also want to provide a service to our customers. We, we serve not only agricultural cooperatives, but also uh, telephone, power, water, energy cooperatives throughout rural America. And, you know, these, these topics are, 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 are important to those community leaders who are often on the, the you know, county boards and, and uh, you know, village, village presidents and so on. So it's a value add to our customers as well. So in this research, Rob, you guys looked at farm data going back about 30 years, right? 40 years to 1970 to roughly 2015. What did you learn about off-farm income on the farm? Well, you know, having, you know, lived as, as you have in rural America, you know, the findings weren't completely surprising, but it was good to finally get some numbers to it, to actually have some concrete uh, numbers rather than just kind of gut feelings as to what's going on. And, you know, a couple of key takeaways that I, that, that I found of most interest is this kind of trend to, to working off farm accelerated kind of in the mid to late eighties, early nineties. And it's been uh, holding pretty strong, you know, since that time. And, you know, roughly 80% of, 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 household income, household farming income comes from off-farm jobs, right? And it's even more so in the case with younger or beginning farmers. And I guess that's not too surprising because the, the transition to farming is not, you know, that's a many-year process. It takes years to, de- to build up equity and, and buy equipment and maybe buy some ground and build up your herd. So, you know, as, as you go through the transitions of life, you know, in the early stages of farming, you definitely need all the help you can get. And you're going to usually, unless you're very lucky, you're going to need to have some, some off-farm income, especially to provide health insurance, right? Because that's become more and more expensive over the years. Yes. And, and Rob, the, that was other, going to be my other, next question. Obviously, income is vital, as you mentioned there, particularly for those younger growers. But there are the other requirements of life in a modern society, and healthcare insurance seems to be one of them to make that cost sustainable. Is that one of the reasons these people maintain their off-farm jobs? Did your study look into that at all? Well, it's definitely that's what that was the I believe the number one uh, or number two reason in the polling as to why um, why uh, households have off farm income, along with uh, income stabilization and, and retirement. Those were the retirement, you know, uh, savings. Those were the top three reasons why cited as to why people had off farm income, and. You know, that, that ties into um, another important point is the interconnectivity that we found between rural and non-rural counties and 
the actually the majority of workers, um, not only farm workers, but all workers, they commute, more than half commute from rural to non-rural uh, counties adjacent to where they live. And that's uh, defined as having a, a county having a city of 50,000 or more people. And that's something I found very interesting. And, and it ties into that, that kind of healthcare issue. You know, you have to be um, a thriving community, even a thriving rural community has to be somewhat close to access to jobs, hospitals, you know, education, and so forth. Absolutely. That's crucial. And Rob, I'm curious, uh, one of the challenges when you're doing a big study like this is the timeliness of the data. You can't always get it right up to the minute. So your research ended in 2017 or 2018. And then since then, of right. course, we've had this big work from home movement. Is this going to bring more dollars or healthcare coverage to rural America? Well, you know, that's, that's a great point, And it'll be exciting to get the new data. And as you said, the data is from 2018. And that's up to 2018, and the reason is because that's when the, the last uh, agriculture census was held. So we have a new one coming up uh, uh, next year, I believe, so it'll be a, another year or two after that before we get the full set of data. So it'll be really interesting to see what has happened along with the pandemic and the changes. We know for a fact that rural communities have been seeing an influx, you know, uh, not floods, but definitely people have been moving into rural areas and uh, the telecommuting makes that much easier. So uh, that, that all spells good news for rural, the rural economy in general, more people, more skills, uh, more diverse economies uh, and so forth. Absolutely. Adding more to that brain trust here in rural America is always a good thing. Folks, we have been talking to Rob Fox. He's the director of the Knowledge Exchange over at CoBank. Rob, thank you so much for joining us today on AOA. Anytime, Mike. Have a good one. Hey, thanks so much. And folks, thank you for tuning in today. I hope you will join us tomorrow for AOA. We're going to be covering a lot more important topics in agriculture. We're going to talk with Todd Neely, Jim Romer, Chuck Connor, CEO of the uh, NS NCFC. And we're going to get excited about the Commodity Classic, which, believe it or not, is almost just around the corner. Thanks for listening, folks, and we'll see you tomorrow for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. The system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.